Let's try that again. Merry Christmas. There we go. There we go. All month long, you're going to be in different places where they are going to be instructed to say to you after you buy something or something like that, they're going to say, happy holidays. And we respond, how? Merry Christmas, unashamedly. Some of you will remember the day when Christmas started after Thanksgiving. Anybody remember that? Huh? No more. Nowadays, you go to Target, and when you're buying your your child's Halloween mask, you can pick up some ornaments for the tree. Is that right? It's all started earlier and earlier. I've noticed in my neighborhood that the lights went up earlier this year. Has anybody noticed that? In my subdivision, they started going up earlier and earlier, and this year may be the earliest of all. And I don't know if I'm embarrassed or proud to tell you that this year's winter you're looking at in Hollow Creek right here. It just seems that that it's getting more extreme every year, a little more over the top. And I guess that's okay. Uh, that might be the reason why uh, Chevy Chase's movie was such a hit for so long. It's almost been 25 years now that that first came out, and people still see that as a feature film they watch every December. And everything in it, as Aquila said, he was right. Everything's extreme, man. It's just over the top. The lights on the house and, and the in-ground pool and, and the weirdness of, of Cousin Eddie. I mean, just the creative team for our church suggested that I preach this sermon this weekend in a bathrobe and boots. And so that was their idea. So we're accepting applications for new creative team people, if you're interested in that. But if you think about it, I want you to really think about this, that the original Christmas story that explained in the Bible to us, man, it's the same way. It's not just some normal ordinary story. And I think maybe we kind of get caught up in that a little bit as Christians because we've heard the story every year, man. We've heard it every year. But, but, but instead of, of getting just kind of laissez-faire about the story, I, I want you to think in terms of the idea that the flavor of the story is intense, man. It is radical. It is, it is almost excessive. And so as we started planning what we're going to do for Christmas here at Eastside, we got the idea of taking this month and just kind of unfolding, almost unveiling a little bit about the extreme, over-the-top, intense nature of the Christmas story that is told in the Bible. That it's not just some normal little story that everybody knows. Man, it is out there. It is way out there. And so every weekend, what we want to do is we want to come here as we get ready for the Christmas day itself, and we want to dive into the story, and we want to take some things that we've all heard about before. We all know about these parts of the story, and we want to dive into it and be able to see maybe for the first time some of the parts of the story that are just off the charts, And what we're going to start with this weekend is we're going to dive into the character of Joseph. And all of us have heard about Joseph. We know all about Joseph, the assigned, legal, earthly father of Jesus. We know all about him. 
But in this part of the story, when he comes out and begins to be seen the way he's taught in the scriptures, what you're going to find out as we look at this today is you're going to find out that his obedience to God, man, it was just crazy. It was just beyond anything you could ever imagine that here's this guy who obeyed God the way that he did. Now, there's a little verse in the scriptures I want you to know about as we jump to study this weekend, and we'll come back to it a lot during this, this uh, month. And I want you to see this. It's not a Christmas verse, but it applies to Christmas. And the Apostle Paul wrote it in chapter 15 of the book of Romans, and he said, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Now, what he was doing is he was saying that this is the purpose of Scripture. This is why God has given us a Bible, because the stories that are written in it and the events that occurred in it and the truths that come from this, the reason that God put this here is so that you and I can learn about how God wants us to live our life. And so they're not just stories out there that we all get to know, but they have a purpose behind them. And what we're gonna do on this weekend is we're gonna take the concept of that verse and we're gonna dive it down into this guy named Joseph. And accordingly, what Joseph did in the Christmas story, God is saying that the reason that he wrote that about Joseph is in order to teach us, in order to help us know about how we're to live our life in obedience to God. And so we're gonna take that idea in this study, and I wanna wanna walk you through something uh, this weekend as I do this. And I've, I've been studying this this weekend or this week getting ready for it. And man, I have had a blast studying this because I'm going I'm to present some things about Christmas that I've never done in any of my Christmas sermons that I've done through the years. And what I did was that I took the idea of what Joseph is, is explained about in Scripture, and I want you to see a chronology of events. This is really important. I want you to see the chronology of events that lead up to Joseph's involvement in the Christmas story. And so when you think about it in those terms, what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to show you that the Christmas story from preconception to the birth of Jesus, so that period of time right there, before Mary conceived and then when she gave birth to Jesus, that that story is told by two people in the Bible. One of those people is Matthew, and one of those people is Luke. And they told the story from their own different versions, and what we're gonna do this weekend, and you're gonna, I think you're really gonna like this, is what we're gonna do is we're gonna mesh those together. And everything that, that Matthew wrote about and everything that Luke wrote about in the story, you already know, you've heard it every year, but here we're gonna mesh it together and we're going to talk about the chronology of events, the sequence of things that happened that led to Joseph's involvement. And so I think you're going to really like this. It's going to be really interesting for you to see. We're just going to retell the story of Christmas from preconception to the point of birth. So here, here's what I mean by that. You're gonna, you're gonna find on that timeline that there were five very critical things that happened. And you've heard every one of them, but you probably have not looked at them 
chronologically, in order in which they happen. So as an example, let me, let me show you this very first one, and you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. The very first thing that happens in the chronology of the birth of Jesus is that an angel visits Mary. And Luke writes this. This is Luke's contribution. When he talks about the Christmas story, Luke tells everything to deal with Mary. Now, Matthew tells everything to deal with Joseph, and that's why we're, we're doing a, a, a harmony of it. We're putting it together. So what we learn from Luke is that Mary is visited by an angel. Now, let me read for you. Uh, let's take that verse off there for a second. Let me read for you what happens before that, and then I'm going to come back uh, to that verse in a minute. Let me read for you a part of it that you've heard before from Luke chapter 1, and this is kind of the Christmas story that a lot of people read from time to time in their homes. It goes like this. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town to Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, this is very important, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Now, you've heard that part of the story. But if you dive into it, it's interesting. Let's do a, a few little details about this. One of the things that we know right out of the gate is that Mary at this point is a virgin, now, I just want to let you all know this, that I'm going to use the term virgin and pregnant, okay? I'm going to use that over and over, and I know there are more politically correct words to use. I know there are more softer words. I'm just going to use the words the Bible uses, and we'll just see where the chips fall with that, okay? So hopefully those words are going to be okay to you. One of the things that we find out about this young girl is that she is a virgin. Now, that tells us something. In the culture of that day, the Jewish cultural practices of they tell us that Mary was probably between 14 and 16 years old. So that's about her age, somewhere in there. And it was very normal in that day for young girls who were 14, 16 in the Jewish culture to be engaged as Mary was to Joseph. That was the normal thing in those days. And so the period of engagement was generally about a year. And so they, they had a moment of engagement where a young man and a young woman were kind of put together that they were going to be married, and then the actual ceremony was one year later. And so somewhere in that year, somewhere in that period of time, an angel appears to this young girl. And it's interesting to me that if you think about that, you, you, you just put yourself in the shoes of a 15-year-old young girl and an angel appears to you. I mean, that's going to scare the heebie-jeebies out of you. And what does the angel say to her? What is the very first thing the angel says? He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. She's already afraid. He says, don't be afraid. And then I find this kind of funny because I'm a man probably. He says, don't be afraid. And then what he tells her is going to make her even more afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he goes on to explain to her that you are going to get pregnant. Now, this is interesting. 
At this point in the game, Mary is not pregnant. The angel tells Mary, that is going to happen in the future. Maybe you've never seen that detail. Now let's look at a couple of those verses and you'll see what I mean. Look at Luke chapter one, verse 31. He said, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. So this hasn't happened yet, Mary, but it's going to happen. And then a few verses later, when he explains how it's going to happen, he then continues to use the future tense. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The punch to this girl is not just that I'm going to get pregnant. That right there was a punch to a 14, 15, 16-year-old virgin girl. The punch was that the father will not be Joseph. Now, now ladies, this is really unique to you. Just kind of deal with that for a second. You are engaged, and God appears to you and says, you're going to have a child, and the dad is not going to be your fiancé. You're really freaking out now, aren't you gals? And then to make it even worse, the angel says, and by the way, I'll tell you who is gonna be the father. God. What in the world do you do with that if you're Mary? Don't take that extreme radical part of the story and just say, yeah, I know about that, an angel appeared before Mary. No, let that get heavy with you. And now you be Mary for a second. And what in the world do you do with news like that? I'll tell you what Mary did. It is the second part of the chronology. This is why it's important to see the sequence of it. Let's look at it up here. Mary then goes and tells Elizabeth. And so she hears what's happening to her by this angel, and you'll see in a minute that she immediately goes to Elizabeth, who is a relative. Most scholars think that Mary and Elizabeth were probably cousins. We don't know exactly the relation, probably that, but at the very least, they were very close. And so when Mary has this angel come, she just kind of is shocked by that, and immediately she goes to see Elizabeth. Look at Luke chapter one, verse 39. I want you to see something in this verse that you may never have seen before. At that time, what time are we talking about? When the angel was there. And so the angel leaves and immediately Mary got ready and heard off into town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. So here's the deal. Put it in this. Mary has this visitation from an angel. You're going to get pregnant. The dad's not going to be Joseph. It's going to be God. The angel leaves, and Mary immediately takes off to Elizabeth. Now, if that happened today, she'd pick up her phone and send her a text, wouldn't she, huh? Immediately. Girl, you ain't going to believe what just happened, okay? That's what she did. Well, we didn't have texts back then, so what'd she do? She took off and went to Elizabeth's home, a long, long way, you may never realize this, it was an 80-mile walk there. She took off to Elizabeth for 80 miles. Watch this. Didn't say a word to Joseph. 
Ladies, raise your hand if the first person you would have talked to would have been Joseph. <laughs> there ain't a chance in the world. And so you take off to Elizabeth's house. And it's not like driving across town. It's 80-mile walk, okay? And you get there. Anybody have any idea how long she stayed there overnight? You know, a couple nights? Three months she stayed there. Look at this next verse. It tells us that. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, there's something behind that, down deep into it, that is a sermon for another day. It's not the purpose of our sermon, but I want you to understand that God orchestrated this visitation between Mary and Elizabeth because Elizabeth is also pregnant and going to give birth to John the Baptist, who's going to be the front runner for Jesus later on. So this is all orchestrated by God why this is happening. But I wonder if the three months happens because Mary is thinking through the whole time, how am I going to tell Joseph? And so toward the end of the three months, the third aspect, again, when you're looking at the harmony of the story, the third occurrence in the chronology happens, and this happens. The angel visits Mary, Mary takes off to Elizabeth, Joseph finds out. Now, everybody's getting a little thick in the room right now, aren't you? Joseph finds out that his fiance is pregnant and he's not the dad. Now, how did he find out? We don't know. We don't know. We're not told that. Some people think maybe the gossip news had hit the town and now it's out there. And I find that highly unlikely. I don't, I don't think that was happening. And here's why. Because in today's world, we've become almost numb to it. Uh, I've been told, in fact, did a little research on that this week. I have been told that 60% of births today in America are by unwed mothers. We, we just kind of lost our, our feeling about that. But in that day, that was crisis stuff. And there was no way Mary was going to tell anybody but Elizabeth. So I don't think it was, the, I don't think it was the, the gossip around town and Joseph heard it at the coffee shop. I don't think it was that. It might have been that Mary came home and said, Joseph, I've got to talk to you about something. And that might have occurred. That might be how that happened. But the reality is we, we, don't, we don't know that. We don't have any record that Mary was talking to Joseph about it. It might have been as simple as this. Let's just be real about it. Joseph noticed the baby bump. That may very well have been what we're finding out. And so the verse that shows us this part goes to this. Let's look at this next verse. And you'll notice now we're in Matthew's version. Because Matthew looked through Joseph's eyes. And it says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And you've heard this verse. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, everybody know what we're talking about there? Do I need to explain it? Everybody good? Okay. Before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. The word found there is important. The word means to become aware of something, to learn something. It'd be like you, you said to somebody, hey man, I found out something today. You came to knowledge of something. How did Joseph come to knowledge that Mary was pregnant? We do not know. 
We have no idea of how it happened, but what we do know is that as soon as Joseph found out, he had to make a decision. Now, let's talk to the guys in the room. We don't know how old Joseph is, probably a little bit older than Mary, but probably not much, and your young fiance is starting to show. She's been gone for three months. You you see where I'm going? Where's she been? And now she's back, and I'm noticing a little bump here, and Joseph's got to figure out, what am I going to do about this? And at that third moment on this chronological sequence of the whole birth story, we have Joseph learning that his wife is pregnant, and he's got to make a decision about this. I'm not going to take the time in this lesson, but if I I had more time, I would show you the places in the story written by Matthew where Matthew talks about how, how Joseph tried to calculate what to do. He he used a word that meant that he he thought about something with intensity. He really mulled about it. He labored over, what am I going to do about this? And you you might have had a a moment in your life where you had to make a a decision about something or you had to say, here's where I'm going to land on this. And it was a big deal, man. And you you had to labor over it, man. It It was intense, full of effort, really thinking, where am I going to be? And Matthew says, that's what what Joseph did. And he finally came to a decision about what he was going to do because he had two options. Joseph had two options in that culture. Let me show you what the options are. He could take a public divorce or he could take a private divorce. And you say, what do you mean divorce, man? They're not married. In that day, they were. When you became engaged in the Jewish culture that day, that was considered that you're married, but you could not come together until the ceremony a year later. So they're married. And the only way to end that is through a divorce. And there were two types of divorces back in the day, a public divorce and a private divorce. And a public divorce was a court episode. And it was a call for a reason of adultery. And in Old Testament days, here's how serious it was. In Old Testament days, public divorce led to the execution of the guilty party. They would have stoned Mary to death. Now, in New Testament days, because the Roman Empire had taken over and the Jews were under the Roman Empire, the, the, the Roman Empire did not let Jews exercise that kind of criminal. That's why they couldn't do That's why the Jews needed Rome to kill Jesus, because the Jews couldn't do it. And so what public divorce was, was not death to Mary, but it put her in such a horrible position that it would ruin her for the rest of her life. She would be living with shame. She'd have a hard time getting a job. This would be a horrible thing for the rest of Mary's days forever. And and Joseph knew he could do that. He also could do what was known as a private divorce. We're going to do this thing under the table. Nobody's going to know. We're not going to hurt anybody. We're just going to kind of call it quits. We're going to walk away from each other. And you do your thing, and I'll do my thing, and nobody will know why, and we'll make a big deal of it. And the Bible says because Joseph thought through that, and he was a good, righteous man, he said, I'm going to take the private route. And his decision at that point was we're going to end this relationship and we're going to do it in a way that will give Mary the best hope that she can have for a life ahead of her. 
Now, at that minute, when Joseph had made the decision, this is what I'm going to do, when he had understood that, it leads to the fourth part of the chronology, and that is an angel visits Joseph. And see, isn't this interesting? Because all these things that you've heard before about the Christmas story, you may never have heard them in this order. You've never seen the events and how one thing led to the other. And during the third one, when Joseph labors over this, and listen to this, chooses to do the right thing, that at that minute an angel comes to him. Now, I want you to stop there for a second. I'm going to ask you to zero in with me. And if you're tired, it's been a long day. I want you to come here. I want you to listen to this. Because what I'm about to say has incredible implications. If you are a Christian in this room, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, here is the promise that God gives you. God promises that the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, will take up residence in your life and live with you until the day you go to heaven. If you're a Christian in this room, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. And I want you to listen to me. The presence of the Holy Spirit, the work of God in your life will do many things on your behalf, many of which you may never know. But here's one of the things that he will do. And when I explain this, some of you are going to say, dude, I know what you're talking about. Man, I've been there. I just didn't know that was happening. And one of the works of the Holy Spirit in our life is the moment that we come to important decisions, that we've decided this is what I'm going to do about that. This is the step I'm going to take there. This is what I'm going to believe about that. When we labor through that as Christians and say, this is where I'm landing. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I believe. That's what I'm going to buy. This is what I'm going to say to that person. When we come to all those decisions in our life, I want you to hear this. I want to encourage you to pay attention to the work of the Holy Spirit in you who will either affirm your decision or he will adjust your decision. As soon as you get to that point, this is what I'm going to do. Start watching. Start paying attention because the spirit inside of you will give you indications in ways that you may never know that he says, I affirm that, that's right, or I need to adjust that, you're making a mistake. Christians ought to pay attention to that. I remember as a young man when I had decided that I was going to ask Susan Weaver to marry me. And I had fallen in love with this girl, and I had a few indications that she had fallen in love with me. And I said, this is the girl that I'm going to marry. And I shared it with a very good friend of mine on the campus of Lincoln Christian College. We were studying to be pastors together. And I shared with my friend, I've come to the point, I'm going to ask her to marry me. And he said, don't do it yet. I said, what do you mean, don't do it yet? He said, before you ask her that, if you've made that decision, before you make that big decision, begin at least a week where you are intensely praying to God every day. God, if you need to break us up, break us up. If you need to break us up, break us up. If you need to stop this, I want you to stop this. And I said, dude, you are crazy. He said, no, I'm not crazy, but you're crazy if you don't do it. 
And before I ask my wife today to marry me 3,000 years ago, I spent a week asking the Spirit of God to adjust my decision if he needed to adjust it or to affirm it. Pay attention to how the Spirit will work in your decisions. And I didn't hear a voice of God. I didn't hear that. But I had a sense in me. I had a sense that all of heaven was saying, son, he's the only, she's the only chance you'll ever have in life. Go for it. It reminds me of the, reminds me of the guy who met this little girlfriend, man, and thought, oh, man, she's sweet and everything. I want her to be kind of my girl. And so he set this thing up with a buddy of his because he wanted to convince this girl that, hey, we're a thing. And so he got this deal with his buddy, and he took his girl, and he went and had a little picnic, and he got down under a tree, and they were sitting on the tree, and he had his buddy hiding up inside the tree up there. And he looked at his girl, and he said, whoo, whoo. Just looked at her and thought, man, this is the real deal. And he just kind of prayed. He went to impress her. Father, Father up above, shall I kiss my darling love? And his buddy up in the tree said in a deep voice, send her, send her down below, pucker up and let her go. Well, that's asking for the presence in the spirit of God. Now watch this. This is serious business. This is serious business. When you come to any decision as a Christian, but this is what I believe. This is what we're going to do. I mean, it can be anything from spiritual, deep things. It can be about how you're going to raise your kids. It's going to be about a purchase that you make. It can be any decision that you make in your life. If you're a Christian, immediately start paying attention to the promptings of the Spirit. And those promptings will either affirm what you're doing or those promptings will adjust what you're doing. Now, why is that a big deal? Because the angel appears to Joseph, who had made a decision on what to do, and the angel adjusts the decision. You, you've, you've heard this verse, and now you know what it means. But after he, Joseph, had considered this. Laborious thinking of what should I do. And after he decided it, after he considered it, after he said, I'm going I'm to do option two. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, Joseph had two options to take. He took option two, and the Spirit of God intervened and gave him option three. As soon as the angel says that, Joseph is in a position of what he's going to do. And that leads us to the final part of the chronology of this story, and it comes down to this, is that Joseph radically obeys. That he came to the point where he realized that the Spirit has intervened and is adjusting me now. And so now you know the message behind Matthew chapter 124, 
which you hear every Christmas. Let's look at it. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. This is the radical, intense, over-the-top, off-the-wall story about Joseph, is that he chose to radically obey God. You remember how we explained at the start of our study that these things are given to us in Scripture for the purpose to teach us? So we got this story of how Joseph obeyed God in this critical moment of his life because God is saying, I want Joseph to be an example for you. I want Joseph's story to help you. And so the next time you and I find ourselves in a moment, are we going to obey God or are we going to disobey God? Joseph shows how that happens. See, it might happen for you the next time that God makes it clear that it's time to deal with a sin in your life. You know what the sin in your life is, and you know the prodding of God has been on you, and will you obey or will you not obey? What are you going to do about that? It might come at a time in your life where you're convinced that God is calling me to this move to serve him, to be about his work, to volunteer, to do what I got to do, to be used of God. And you've heard God say that over and over and over and over, and you just keep putting it off because you want to do something else. So you want to involve yourself in something else. And God says, I want to know, are you going to obey or are you not going to obey? And Joseph becomes an answer to this. Joseph says there's times in the lives of Christian people where you have to absolutely, radically obey him. And you know, if you're in this room right, you know if you're there. I don't think everybody all at once in this room is at a critical moment right now where you know what God wants and you just, you just turn in a blind eye to it. But there's a lot of people in this room who are. And you're going to find yourself at some point in your life where it is going to come down to, are you going to obey or are you not going to obey? And I don't know if you've ever looked carefully at what Joseph actually did in that scripture. But let me show you to you. I'm going to be real quick with it. Look at some of the things he did. It talks about he had no union with her. Let's go back to that verse, if you will. I'm sorry. I want to go back to that verse. He had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And that kind of fits what we just read earlier. And I want you to see these things relative to what Joseph did. So let's look at the first thing about that, is that he was quick instead of slow. He responded right then, as soon as he woke up. And I want you to think about that. The next time that God really puts something in your life that I want you to do this or I want you to stop doing that, it's not a time to say, well, I'm going to think through it about it a little bit. I'm going to talk to my buddies about it. I'm going to pray about it for a month. And I don't mean that there isn't time that we ought to give some serious thought to what we're doing for the sake of God. But I do want to say at some point, you got to fish or you got to cut bait. And radical obedience never delays what needs to happen today. I wanna to say that again. Radical obedience never delays what needs to happen today. Now the heartbeat of what Joseph did was this. Check out the next one. Is that God's plan instead of man's plan. His plan was option two. Let's do this under the table. Everybody's gonna be cool. She's gonna have a chance in life. Nobody's gonna know. Everything will be fine. And God intervenes and says, no, man, I want you to do something totally different. I want you to take her as your wife, and I want you to raise her boy. And Joseph was okay with that. 
And you will find that there are times in your life where God wants A and you want B. And what are you going to do about that? Jophus is an example of absolute obedience to it. I don't know if you saw this in the text. You probably have read it and didn't know what it was mean. Look at this next part about what it means to obey God. Desire instead of duty. If you looked at it carefully, it said that he took her home as his wife and he had no union with her until the child was born. You might know what that's talking about. Do I need to explain? Write any picture, draw a picture. Anybody know? Okay. So no intimate relations until Jesus was born. Did you notice God never commanded that? God never said anything about that. Because when you want to obey God, when you really want to obey God, watch this. You don't do it out of duty. Okay, I gotta obey God. No, you do it out of desire. Man, I'm gonna do everything I can to do anything that he wants me to be. And so Jophus is saying, man, I don't want any chance at all that anybody would think this child is mine. This is not my child. And so sometimes obedience takes it to another level. And I love the idea that it ends with this idea that you will name him Jesus. Hard decisions always end up with this. Jesus instead of me. I looked at this this week, and I never noticed this before. I found this really interesting. So he goes home, and uh, the angel told Mary, when you have the baby, name him Jesus. And the angel told Matthew, when the child's born, name him Jesus. So both of them heard that. And so he's born, and, and Joseph says, we're going to name him Jesus. And you probably don't think anything about that, okay? And it's interesting to me that the story ends with a focus on Jesus. Now watch this. From that point when Jesus is about two, when the Magi show up, from about two to when he was 12, two to 12 years old, Joseph, his legal earthly father, is referenced one time in the Bible. From 12 to the cross, 30, 31, 32 years old, Joseph is referenced one time. How many times do you think Jesus is referenced? See, absolute, total obedience is that I want people to see Jesus in me more than I want them to see me in me. So I kind of walked through this study this week, and it was good for me to see the chronology of it, of everything that builds up to the, the idea that this guy obeyed God in a way I, I don't know that I would. And God gave it to teach us something. Do you think that way about your obedience to God? I was listening to a sermon the other day, and a, a pastor I was listening to on a, uh, the radio was preaching a sermon. He told about a day after church and services was over with, and he was outside the church, and people were coming out of the church and heading to the parking lot. He was greeting people. They kind of gave me a little bit of impression, maybe kind of a smaller country-type church. And uh, he said a lady came out of the church. She'd been in church that day. And he was thanking her for coming, and she had her little boy with him. 
He didn't, the preacher didn't say how old she was, but it kind of gave me an idea. Maybe the, the boy was maybe, I don't know, three, four, five, something like that. And they're sitting there talking, the preacher and this lady, and her son reaches down. He picked up a, he said it was about a half of a brick. He picked it up. And mom looked at him and said, put that brick down. And he just looked at her. And then he acted like he was going to throw it. And she said, don't throw that brick. And he threw the brick, and it went right through one of the basement windows of the church. And mom said this to him. You do that again, you're in trouble. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I wasn't raised in a house like that. Any of y'all, huh? I, I love to tell the story about when I was in high school, I went to uh, track practice one night, and uh, we were going to do this thing called 20 quarters, and you may have heard me tell this story before, and what 20 quarters was, was it, it was a brutal workout. We'd do it once every week, and everybody hated it because it just killed you, and you showed up, and you did about 15, 20 minutes of stretches, and then you jogged a mile to kind of warm up, and then you came back, and you got around the track, and uh, you ran around it. It was a quarter mile. They call it 400 meters now. You ran around as fast as you could one time, and then you got 90 seconds to breathe, and then you had to do it again, and did that 20 times. And then the 20 times, which is basically five miles of sprint, if you're not dead yet, you, you ran another mile to kind of warm down. And so it was the day of 20 quarters. And so I was getting ready to show up for practice, and the day before, our coach had told us, I want everybody to show up in full sweats. Because it's starting to get cold, I don't want anybody to get sick. So come in full sweats back in those. I mean, a hat and the whole thing. And I woke up that morning, and it was sunny, and it was warm. And our coach said, you bring full sweats. If it's hot, take them off. You can run in your shorts and shirt. And so I thought, well, we're not going to use sweats. So I show up in just shorts and shirt. And we're having our little pre-practice meeting. My coach looks at me and says, Hastings, where's your sweats? I said, coach, it's a million degrees. I said, he said, I told everybody to wear sweats. I didn't think he was going to wear sweats. He goes, go get your sweats. I said, really? He goes, yeah, go get your sweats. So I get up. All my buddies are laughing at me. Uh, 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 and I start walking to a locker room where my keys are from a car. He said, where are you going? I said, going to the locker room to get my keys car. He goes, no, I want you to run home. Run home to get your sweats. I lived about three miles from a high school. So I start running home. Get my sweats. Now, because I'm smarter than the average bear, I'm thinking as I run, if I time this perfectly, I'm going to get back and I ain't going to have to do the 20 quarters. So I go home, I get the sweats, I watch a little TV, eat a couple donuts, chill out a little bit, jog back, perfect timing. Come right into the track area. My buddies are crawling into the locker room because they're dead after 20 quarters. And I'm thinking, ha, ha, ha. And I'm walking in. I'll take six-mile jog for five-mile sprint. And I'm walking in. Coach says, where are you going? Locker room, coach. Practice over. He says, yours ain't. <laughs> what do you mean, my ain't? He says, come on, you got 20 quarters. And I had to go out there and do that all by myself. And I'm walking into the locker room, and that's over. I still remember this. I, I ran into my coach a few months ago when I was back home. I reminded him of this, and he laughed at me. And I, we're walking in, and I'm, I'm just ready to, you know, it's, a, it's about over with. I'm about dead. And he said, Dave, I didn't do this for running. I did this for obedience. Isn't this the coach you'd want? For the rest of your life, you're going to be in positions of obedience. And I'd rather you learn now than later. Now, I don't know if Joseph was raised in my coach's home or if he was raised in uh, the brick thrower's home. 
I would think the former. But all of it is written to teach us that the earlier you learn this, the better. Radical obedience to whatever God says for you to do. Father, I thank you for messages that are in your word. I've heard this story my whole life. I never saw it like this. And there are going to be people in this room this weekend. I know that because you promise in your word that your word is never taught and comes back void. It always has a purpose for somebody to hear. Somebody needed that. I, saw, I, I already know there'll be, there'll be people in this room who are dealing with this right now. I pray that Joseph is their example. No matter what, obedience to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for that.